0: Before John comes quickly, I just want to take this handout with you and just show you a couple things that we're trying to emphasize in the idea of worldliness. We're looking at several different areas in which worldliness can kind of of become more manifested, more prominent, more obvious to us. When we talk about media and music and now materialism, these are just different domains in which worldliness manifests itself. But worldliness itself is much more subtle, right? It's much more insidious. It's much more... Um, it works in a deceptive manner in a lot of areas of our life. So I don't want us to kind of narrow in on just one or two or three different areas. Each one of us have different uh, proclivities to worldliness, susceptibility to worldliness, and it maps up differently for each individual person. Okay, First uh, John chapter 2 is our key text to start it off, and it tells us that worldliness is characterized by a lust of the eyes, a lust of the, uh, a lust of the flesh, and a pride of life, and that is different. Your desires are different and unique to each one of you individually. So what might be a, a temptation for you is to be worldly might be different than for another person. Uh, but inde- indefin- inevitably, your desires are the portals by which the world tries to allure you into its mold, to impress you and to compress you into its <laughs> thought patterns and its values. I've written up here nine symptoms of onsetting worldliness. How do you know if you're becoming worldly? Well, there are telltale signs and characteristics that you must evaluate in your life, okay? And you'll notice these um, setting in, uh, hopefully you will, unless you're being anesthetized. (laughs) And that's part of the thing the world does. It kind of lures you into a sleep state spiritually, and you're not watching these things. But you can attend church without enthusiasm. That starts to happen as you begin just going through the routine um you guys remember the old donut man commercial from dunkin donuts time to make the donuts donuts. you know he gets up and just kind of shuffles off to work doing the routine then he throws himself in bed at night that's sort of kind of like your approach to church time to go to church you know and then throw you know it's week it's sunday again got to go back to church that's sort of the symptoms indicators that something is happening in your spiritual life you're spiritually being put to sleep okay it's care- careful about that. Singing without affection. Singing praise to the Lord, but you're not engaged in that. Your heart's not engaged in that. Listening without conviction or application. You can hear a, p- a message preached, and you're like, man, this doesn't reach me. This is not, this is not feeding me. I'm not uh, getting anything out of it. Careful. That might say more about your heart than it does about the preacher or about the word, okay? Worldliness is setting in. Be, con- be aware. A dull conscience. Sin doesn't bother you like it used to. Your soul is restless. You're like, man, I just, uh, I want something else. I I think there's something missing in my life. And you're just restless, generally. Your sin no longer grieves your soul. Your excitement for participation in church dissipates. You have no interest in evangelism. Did any of these characterize your state of heart presently at the moment? Then beware. Worldliness might be setting in. Worldliness puts your conscience to sleep. It deadens your spiritual sensitivity. It disengages you from your biblical duties. It hinders and stunts your interest in spiritual things. Don't don't tell me that this doesn't happen to us, doesn't it? I mean, you are in a constant onslaught of worldly things being offered to you, worldly attractions, allurements of all kinds, and it's putting you spiritually in a state of comatose response. You have no, you have no interest in things of God. You're changing preoccupies you you're preoccupied with transient temporal things and you have you're oblivious to the transcendent and the eternal you compress into a molder molded pattern of thought values and lifestyle all of that starts to reflect more along the lines what the world values and what the world thinks and what the world thinks is the proper lifestyle your spiritual zeal is zapped. you are bankrupted of joy you're robbed of peace and the world slowly assimilates you into its control again you have a lethargic and defeated spiritual state. You have no spiritual life and vigor, no strength to persevere. Trials hit and they just wash you out, and you're just realizing, wow, the world has had too much influence in my thinking and my value system. And according to First John chapter two, love of the world will displace the love of the Father. Remember, he says you cannot love the if you love the love of the world, the love of the Father doesn't doesn't exist in you. You cannot have both. So it's it's very clear that there is a deadly effect of worldliness. So if you feel yourself growing cold find <laughs> yourself growing cold, you're you're probably caught in a trap of worldliness. What is the bait in the trap of worldliness? It's usually something that appeals to us, that really isn't sinful at all. Whether it's music or media or materialism, these things in and of themselves aren't always immediately identifiably sinful, are they? Not always. They start off being something very appealing. I use the illustration of financial security. You can, want to be financially secure, and that's a good thing. But that desire to be financially secure can begin to cultivate something in your heart that leads you into a worldly lifestyle, doesn't it? You think you got to start working extra jobs. You've got to take that promotion at work. It starts to compete with your time and your commitments to Christ and involvement in things in the community of faith and the church. And all of a sudden... You're, snap, you're, you're in the trap. The trap is slapped shut on top of your arm, and huh, just like this guy, you can't you can't shake loose. You may even see things that present themselves as providences or answers to prayer. Man, it's great that the Lord gave me this job, Then I I can have more money, I can have more affluence, I can have a greater retirement. And you don't realize the world is serving you up something that appeals to you, and yet it may actually drain you spiritually. May actually be very dangerous susceptibility to worldliness you're vulnerable through a particular and unique constellation of human desires be careful what you want what you want people say I want this and I need that and I want this and I need that that language is dangerous language if you're not comparing to what scripture says because needs and wants are oftentimes misperceived by our, we can think our own needs and wants are something that uh, we're entitled to Your profile for temptation is different than someone else's. And so your greatest desires are your greatest vulnerabilities. So I'm going to finish this up here with just how is the world taking hold of you? Well, you can tell easily what's motivating you. Think about what motivates you. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What drives you to do what you do? Those are the things in which are going to be indicators of areas you need to be most watchful about because the world will continue to try to Um, offer you those things you're chasing what are you chasing after life what's informing your decision what's the payoff you want so basically we've been examining only a couple common areas worldliness praise uh, in every area Uh, the world promises you to give you what you want when you want how you want it it offers you the promise that you'll be fulfilled and happy but you're chasing the wind You'll never find what you're looking for, ultimately. It's like a twisted shell game, and you're being suckered by the world the whole time. So if you play the game of pursuing your will, you will lose. But the last statement of 1 John 2.17 says something very important. How do you escape the trap of the world? You've got to give up what you want. You've got to give up what you desire. You've got to put aside that. And, and, uh, and John says, he that does the will or the want or the desire... Of the Father is the one that lives forever. So there's a there's a substitution of desire. You can't put a, you have to put aside your desire and elevate and, es, and escalate the desires and the will of God. And that's kind of what these men have been talking about, showing you how each of these areas frames up a particular temptation to us, but also helps you to show you what's the Father's will in these areas. And I think it's been extremely helpful.